Bow Wow, episode one of the Tartar Project. After literally saying four years, multiple years, that I'm starting a podcast, I have started a podcast because you are listening to it and it's happening. And I am pumped. So toot toot my own horn for executing and getting... I wasn't necessarily on a couch, I was seated in some way, shape, or form, and now we're here, we're sitting in front of a microphone, seated again, so I guess not that much progress. But either way, episode one, I'm your host, Phil Toronto, New York City-based investor, uh, lover of brands, lover of fitness, running, snacks, you name it. Enough about me, let me tell you about the glorious first guest that I have, a friend of mine by the name of Drama, Chris Pfaff. You may know him from his previous life as drama on the hit series Robin Big and Fantasy Factory, but he has blossomed into quite the entrepreneur. He is the founder of Young and Reckless, amongst the successful host of a massive podcast, Short Story Long, and the number one business podcast in the world, shout out Ama Kathy, Group Chat Pod uh, with Dean and Anand. And we're just going to dive right in. We cover a lot of cool ground, a lot of hardship, a lot of stuff that I related to, and, and I'm sure you can as well. So without further ado, episode one of the Tartar Project. Let's fucking do it, Phil. Let's do it, drama. This is episode one. Episode one. Take one of one. Of the Tartar Project. The Tartar Project? The Tartar Project. What's that relate to? I just assumed the word Tartar probably mm-hmm. three, four years ago. Like tuna tartar? Yeah, tuna okay. tartar. Food's a big part of my life. Okay. Love restaurants. I have a lot of opinions, so it's my raw opinion, my raw take. Mm, I like that. Raw interview. I like that. Your guest one. Guest one, man. I am honored. As and a, you flew out here just for this. I flew out here just for this. Whew. 7 a.m. flight, 9.25 red-eye back. That's real friendship. It's true friendship. (laughs) It's true friendship. (laughs) That's good stuff. So what I want to accomplish with the podcast is share the blessing that I have because I get to come across a lot of cool stories Mm -hmm. in my line of work working with Gary Vaynerchuk. If no one is familiar, I run all of investments for Gary and have the liberty of just getting to meet a bunch of people in that context. Mm -hmm. And... Getting stories out there is exciting, and I just love sharing what I do. So here we are with the first guest that actually got me super hooked onto podcasting with Short Story Long. And I we met probably two years ago, I'd say, yep. randomly yep. while <laughs> Gary was filming a VR yeah. or AR yeah. keynote yep. here in LA. And I was sitting in the corner, fanboying out, yeah. fan of the Fantasy Factory, Robin Big, back in the day. That's so cool. You guys... Gave me a lot of motivation when I had my first business, yeah. which ultimately failed, but it happened. That's but okay. it was pretty sweet to watch you on the come up as the assistant, yeah. all the way to the brand leader. Yeah. And it was very inspiring. Thank you, man. And I just got to say, you off, you threw me a big life raft that day because what happened was my brother, I don't remember who my brother was in touch with over on your guy's side. But my brother hit me up and was like, hey, I'm going to go to this Gary Vee thing. Do you want to come? And, and I believe that was kind of when Gary had just started really blowing up, like on a big, big level. Yeah. And, and I remember thinking, man, I, this guy would be great for my podcast and whatever. And um, so, yeah, I'll go with my brother. But I felt kind of, 
weird and out of place. And like, I don't normally put myself in situations like that. You know, like I would wait for someone, mutual friend to know you guys and then probably, you know, get in touch that way. So I f- was feeling super out of place and weird. And then when you came up to me and said hi and whatever, I was like, oh, okay, good. Like we, yeah, I have, we're we have friends here. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, so that was a huge, uh, you, you really th- threw me a raft on that one. Oh, my pleasure. My yep. pleasure. So I guess we'll dive right in. I know I know you're from the the hardened streets of just outside of Akron, Ohio. Oh yeah. And I just I would love to hear the quick 5 30 however long minute take you have on how Coventry, Ohio shaped you into the man that you are today yeah. and how you got started. Yeah, I mean to try to paint the picture like I um so Coventry, Ohio is it's about 20 minutes away from actual like downtown Akron. Super small town. I always tell people to try to paint the picture. Like it wasn't incredibly like nothing there, but right outside of the window of my high school was a farm with cows and we would just sit and watch the cows all day. And I remember one of the biggest news days in our town was when when one of the cows escaped. (laughs) And my, like my parents were like getting calls because people were tracking it like, oh, it's on Main Street now and it's on Van Buren. And, and like, that was like a huge day, right? Yeah. <laughs> so to give you an example, and it's also <laughs> one of those places where, you know, you, you go to school. Uh, not a lot of my friends went to college. You kind of marry someone from your high school or, or their sister or brother and you, uh, you move down the street and you stay there, you know? And, and even moving to Los Angeles, made you quote unquote famous in that town, right? Makes total sense, yeah. And I remember the first Christmas I came back before TV and any of that stuff, my cousins were like, so what's, did you meet Paris Hilton? Is Britney Spears there? What's she like? You know, and I'm like, that's not how it works. She's super <laughs> cool, but yeah, it's not yeah. how it works. Yeah, yeah. and so um, it's that type of vibe. And, and um, I became obsessed, my brother and I became obsessed with skateboarding. I was probably 10 or 11 when that happened. and. It just consumed our entire lives. And so my parents tried to initiate a rule that we had to do at least one extracurricular activity with school. That didn't work, you know, because we just couldn't be bothered to do anything. And all we would do was go to school, um, go over to our friend's house, meet up after school, watch skateboard videos, go skateboard, whatever, until we had to be home to go to sleep, do that and do the same thing the next day. And all summer, you're just skating all day. You're driving up to Cleveland, skating around there. Every now and then we'd take a trip down to like Dayton or Cincinnati. And that was it. And and that's what really put the seed in my brain at a really young age that I wanted to move to LA as soon as I graduated high school because LA was like the skateboard capital of the world. And it was like the whole city was like Disneyland growing up as a skateboarder because you'd see famous skate spots and you'd see, you know, the place where a pro posted a a video of him doing something. And and it's where all the skate companies were. It's where all the pros lived. And I just remember that the idea of living in Los Angeles, being in the skateboard industry and doing nothing but skating all year round was like my dream since age, like, I don't know, 14 or something. And so that's what I did. I, I, I As soon as I graduated high school, I, I didn't take my SATs or ACTs. I didn't. I skipped that day, and, and I moved to L.A. But that's what life was like, um, you know, in small-town Ohio. Definitely. Yeah. Did you care about school at all? No, I didn't. And I really always had this – part of this I'm proud of and part of this I wish somebody would have urged me to work on – I had this sort of outcast mentality. 
And not that I was necessarily like super, like I wasn't like a super big loser, but I didn't care to, you know, like skaters have this mentality of like, we're different. We're not, we're not the jocks. We're not the blah, blah, blah. And I just remember I would walk around every day. I would do just what I had to do. I got like B's and C's. I would keep my hood up. And I would have a CD player or then an iPod in my pocket under my hood, listening to probably some Eminem like angry rap music. Yeah, and uh, and I just would you know stay to myself. And people liked me, but not you know I didn't go to the school dances, I didn't go to the parties, I didn't do anything. I went and skated with my friends all day. But those friends didn't go to my school, and I kept to myself uh, all day during the during the school day. And is that the time when you start embodying 90% hustle, 10% sleep? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> it's just really driving That's home. a good fact. So I, I have, and I forgot this until I went home for Christmas, like, I think it was like two years ago, I had a whiteboard in my bedroom, this is what you're referencing, that's had in marker written on it, 90% grind, 10% sleep, which I believe was like a, that's right. like a Mike Jones lyric or something. <laughs> and then I had a young Jeezy lyric on the same whiteboard that said, the world is yours and everything in it, it's out there, get on your grind and get it. And the reason why it's funny to me is because I think I was always really hungry and ambitious, but like I wasn't grinding and I was right. sleeping plenty. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. I, this was not 90-10. Yeah. <laughs> and, but there was always that like rapper, you know, I was listening to a lot of Young Jeezy and, and Eminem and all that stuff and there was a lot of that like raw rapper, fuck the world, like drive in me. Yep. You know? Yeah, the I get it. Yeah. I totally get it. So you wrapped high school. You skipped all the, the key tests that you actually didn't miss anything yep. with. I Thank promise you for you. reassuring. Yeah. I, I know it's it's probably been something in the back of your mind for the yeah. past 20 years or so. You know what is yeah. in the back of my mind? I always, well, now I'm, I've gotten rid of it in the last two years. I always lived with the jealousy or wish that I could have went to like Harvard. I really had that. I get that. And I really always thought like, man, these guys, like I, I'm a hustler, I'm a whatever, but like, I just wish I had like a Harvard business degree. Something like that. Yeah, and I shook that, but that was a bit of my, I did live with that complex a little bit. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, It's, it's a camaraderie. I, I went to a public school in New Jersey, and yeah. I wish I went to a real college sometimes yeah. that actually Yeah, just it'd be things. cool to be like, yeah. I'm I didn't know we had a football team until sophomore <laughs> year, yeah. and yet I did go to homecoming. I thought it was just drinking in the parking lot freshman year. <laughs> yep, yep. Didn't know about the football team. That's amazing. So that's a thing. Yep. So first trip to L.A., Yep. You go out with a bunch of buddies. Did you go solo? What got you out there? Did you have anybody in LA to talk to at the time? I assume yes. Yep. Um, anybody that could set you up, show you the ropes? Yep. So there's a couple like layers to that story. So I had taken a couple trips to LA and I think one to LA, one to San Diego during like my high school years. And one time or maybe a couple times was um, my parents came. And thank God for them. I, I owe them so much for this because they essentially sacrificed our family vacation because we just wanted to go to LA so bad. So they were literally like, I remember there was a couple days during our vacation where we were out skating with our friends that we had met and they were like just chilling and like the Sheraton and Universal City, you know, just like, all right, oh, yeah. screw it. Here we and, are. And I give them so much credit for like caring so much about what we wanted to do. But so I had come a couple times. We had made friends that lived here that were skaters and there was it's a long story but long story short is essentially one guy who lived in Cleveland knew a guy from LA we connected with him we also went to a skate camp when we were super young called Woodward in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania and we met a guy that lived in Brentwood so we came on one or two of those trips and stayed with those guys 
And it was so cool because that was my first real like view into young people that were skaters that actually lived in LA in like shitty apartments. And like, it, I was like, Ooh, Living the dream. this is the life, yeah. you know, like these are the guys. So that's kind of how that went. And then obviously my cousin who I went on to do all the TV stuff with, Rob was a pro skateboarder. But when we were growing up, he didn't, you know, we only saw him a couple times my whole childhood. He moved to LA when he was 16 and he's 13 years older than I am. So we knew he was out here and there was a couple trips where we met up with him and skated for a few hours and, and that stuff. But we kind of relied on our friends to show us around and actually give us a place to sleep and stuff like that. So when I turned 18 um, and finally made the move, that's when I hit up my cousin and I said, hey man, like, I'm coming out there. I'll do anything. Like I'll wash your floors. I'll do laundry. Like there is nothing that's above me. I'll do anything. I'm gonna be getting an apartment. I just want to create a life out there. So when I came out here is when him and I connected, and that's when we really became close. And he became like an older brother to me. And I ended up working as his personal assistant. Then that turned into this whole other thing <laughs> of hit TV shows. And, Talk about a snowball. Yeah, it was a mega snowball. And <laughs> and so for me, when I remember when I moved to LA, I was super scared and didn't know anyone and was super lonely and whatever. But but that's when I connected with with my cousin and and we went on this crazy journey together. Initially, personal assistant was not on the docket. That was actually a crazy opportunity where you're just almost right place, right time, yep. because somebody had to bow out. Yep. Uh, so I got lucky twice by by other people's girlfriends. And what I mean by that... <laughs> what a statement. <laughs> it's OPGs. And, and man, did I benefit. Because the way that that happened is when I turned... So I turned 18. My brother was is four years older than me. He was in Ohio too. The plan was when I turn 18, we're going to LA, me and you. And... Right around 18, I got injured skateboarding and was, was out for six months and couldn't move. And by the time I got back to health, he had gotten his first girlfriend. And he, didn't, he wasn't ready to move, ready to leave her. There was no, you know, he wasn't ready to go. And I was so ready to go. And so that's what led me to reaching out to Rob because I didn't have my brother to move with me anymore. So I was going to have to figure this shit out myself. So I did that, came to L.A., blah, blah, blah. I come out here for a couple months. When I get ready to go back to Ohio to essentially, I'm going back for Christmas, getting the rest of my stuff, and I'm going to come move into the apartment that I'm supposed to be finding. The day before I left, Rob's assistant, or who was scheduled to be his assistant, had to bow out because he lived in San Diego. He had just gotten a girlfriend, and she gave him an ultimatum and said, either you move up to L.A. with Rob or you stay down here with me. You're not doing both. And he said, I love this girl. I got to stay with her. So he literally hung up the phone, said, shit, man, what am I going to do? Blah, blah, blah. Walked down into the kitchen. I remember it very specifically because it was a big fork in the road in my life. And he said, hey, you want to be my assistant? And I was like, dude, I don't even know. I'm this like hillbilly from Ohio. I don't know what an <laughs> assistant, you know, like, what does that even mean? I don't know how to drive here. I don't know what the roads are. Like, I don't know any of this shit. And and I went back and forth on it for a couple days. And his close friends said, don't do it. It'll mess up your relationship with him because you don't want to work together. You guys are cousins. Let that be. And, and I essentially came to the conclusion, look, man, all I'm going to do is work at a skate shop. I'm, I'd rather give this a try. And if it doesn't work out, I'll go work at the skate shop. But I would like to be around. I mean, Rob's an incredible dude, incredibly entertaining, but also really smart. I'd rather be around this and learn and see what comes of this than to go 
you know, put together skateboards for a living and see where that takes me. Definitely. So I said, yeah, I'll do it. And, and I essentially went home for Christmas, packed up my stuff, uh, the rest of my stuff, and came out, and that was then my job. Makes a lot of sense. It's yeah. Super similar with how I got started with Gary. He yeah. asked, well, I started as an intern, yep. came in one day, I was late the first day, made everybody very aware that I was going to be late, very apologetic. Yep. I was late because the public transportation train that I was on hit somebody. Oh, God. So couldn't get anywhere. Yeah, nothing I was still freaking do. out. It was like, oh, my God, there, there's no excuses. You got to be yeah, a champion. Yeah, yeah. So I come in the office. I was the 10th person in the company, I'd say. Five people are in this back room. I come in. Oh, good. You're here. Come back here. Five people staring at me. Gary goes, how organized are you? I was like, oh, God, man, I, I really, <laughs> I really messed up. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know, I could get, I could get kind of organized. He's like, I need you to get super organized. I'm like, I don't know what I, what I, what I dropped or what I, what I messed up. And he's like, oh no, no, it's, it's not bad. I want to make you my personal assistant. Wow. And I was just I scrolling through my head. What do they do? <laughs> I have yeah. no idea. Yes. I think there's some scheduling. I'm like, yeah, I. I would love to do that. Yep. I was hoping you would ask me. And then it was just off to the races, figure yeah. it out. Yeah, man. It's a real lesson in like, because, you know, there's the equivalent that, of that that happens to us now. And it's just like, you got to stretch. You know, if it yep. seems like there's even a chance that this is the right direction, stretch it, man, and go for it. Because yeah. it could work out and send you in a whole different direction. Plan B will always be there. It probably. Always. Yeah. The safe route's always there. Yeah. The safe route's not going anywhere. You got to stretch and get uncomfortable. Um, and see what that turns into. It changed my life. Definitely. That little silly decision. So you get back to LA. Yep. You're an assistant now. Oh yeah. Ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the day to day like? How, how hard was it adjusting to that? And did the red flag that Rob's friends were saying flicker quite a bit mm -hmm. about not working with him because it was tough? Did, yep. did you have any immediate regrets? Yeah, you're my friend, so I'm going to tell you the truth. I, yeah, all that. Like, it sucked, sucked, sucked. Like, I was, you know, nothing bad on him. This is what assistants do, but he didn't go easy on me because I was his family. I was, like, folding laundry all day and, like, taking the oil. I forget what it's called now. It's probably locked away into my traumatic uh, brain compartment. But, like, where you... You oil the whole wood floor of the whole house and squeegee the whole wood floor. That'd be my task for the day. Wow. And, you know, I'd have to be over in time to make sure that coffee was made in the morning for when he got up and washing dishes and, you know, like just the most, the most real tasks. And that was before the days of, you know, that was before TV. That was before like housekeepers and all the nice stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was doing all that. And it was hard on our relationship. I mean, we actually did an episode, I think the last season of Fantasy Factory, joking about it, but I forgot. I, I kept a journal. I think my mom or my dad was like, oh, you should really keep a journal. This is going to be like a life-changing part of your life. And I'm like, all right. And so I tried to keep a journal, and, and I was saying the craziest shit in there. Like, I was saying, like, today was really hard. Rob was really disrespectful to me, and I really don't know. You know and, and we were able to joke about it later, but that's really – And it was all go, the bad stuff. You yeah. were highlighting all the bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I would go home at night, and I would be like, man, like – he seems so mean and this seems so like, and like, you know, looking back on it, the majority of it is the same stuff I tell people now, like that's what it takes. Like that's what you got to go through. And I think that's really what primed me to be able to deal with the stuff I deal with on a day to day now. And it was partly from coming from my comfy little life in Akron, Ohio to the real world. But um, yeah, it was all of the above as far as 
the the feelings of, of I guess, risking our relationship, um, hard work, thinking it was miserable, hating every minute of it. But at the end of the day, I, I will say, just to clarify, like even through the hardest parts, like his motivation and all the positive outweighed, always outweighed those days when I hated everything about, you know, the job. 100%. So that's what kept me going in it, you know? I think, and I think you'll agree that being an assistant is probably one of the best jobs that you can have. Yep. If you're paired with the right person, if if you're paired with somebody that inspires you or is on the trajectory that you want to be on, yep. just being able to be in that aura and soak it up and, and take the shit yep. and, and figure it out. I feel like the figuring it out part where you're just thrown into it yep. is probably one of the most transformative things. Yeah. And I'll tell this for the listeners. Like, I think being that close to someone on... Uh, mainly an assistant or whatever that job is, is one of the best and worst jobs. And the reason why I say that is it's the worst because you're getting the raw, unfiltered, shittiest of the shitty work. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like this fell apart right now, you fix it. And there's not an infrastructure in place to fix that. There's not, you're the guy that all the immediate shit lands on. But the reason why it's the best is because you also see the closest to the truth of what it really takes. Yep. And I think like you might be a marketing director and you might never learn what it's like to actually be the guy running the business. It's a different thing. And I think when you're an assistant, you're the closest to the flame for good or for bad. And it allows you to see the truth of the agility and what it really takes to run your own thing. And so that's why, I don't know, man, it, it's worth it. Like there's a lot of shit, but it, it's, it's worth it. The stuff you learn is so worth it. And so... Along the path of assistant drama, yep. When did the show start to take off? And uh, when did actually yep. when did the show happen in that period? Like when yep. your tenure or your reign of terror? Yep. As my reign assistant. of terror. My reign of terror got kicked up a notch. <laughs> uh, no, it uh, it was. God, I looked up the date the other day because I was curious. I believe it was a little over a year after I first moved that the show started, or maybe a year and a half. And essentially the way that looked to me was I moved here. There was some rumblings about like, because Rob lived with Big Black at the time. And so their house was like legitimately Rob and Big, but just with no cameras. There was rumblings of like, oh, you know, our friends are saying this could be a show or this could be something. And and so right after I moved, they had put like the producers had put or who would come to be the producers had put cameras in the house sporadically that we could just grab and film shit. And they were like big bulky cameras, not like you know what you could just do on your iPhone now. But And essentially they were saying, look, we have no idea what this show is. We don't know how we're gonna sell it to anyone. But if anything funny happens in the house, just film it. So we can start to put together a reel of like what this house is like. And so we weren't filming anything worth anything on those. I mean, we were just filming the dumbest stuff on those cameras, but that's where it started. Then all of a sudden there's a couple meetings and you're shooting what could be a, a pilot, and then you're doing this, and then you're, it's kind of just evolving. And, and I mean, Robin Big shot, edited, named different names, and delivered nine pilots to MTV that were all denied. Wow. But MTV just saw something, thank God, in those guys and in Rob that they knew was special, but they just didn't know how to define it or name it or, or format it, you know? And it was like Rob Dyrdek's rules to success and Rob Dyrdek's rules to finding friends and Rob Dyrdek's, like it was every different thing. And finally they literally landed on like, look, let's just let these guys do what they do. 
let's just it's Robin Big. It's a buddy comedy of these this odd couple of of friends, and let's just do it. And that's what Rob was always really pushing for, and it worked. And you know, once again, this is obviously the super condensed version. But after all that time, finally they said, okay, we want this one. Oh my God, this thing's real. I can't believe this. Um, they were kind of telling us, like, look, things are going to change after this. People are going to recognize you walking around and whatever. And we just thought, nah. nah. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Like, we're just a bunch of skater dudes. <laughs> Who watches MTV? Yeah, come on. And it launched. And we didn't even know. When that, when that happens, it, it could launch. It could get bad ratings. You could be gone the next day. Like, it could... You could have zero shot at anything. So every episode, we were just crossing our fingers, hoping that they wouldn't cancel us and that it would it would work. And man, it just when it launched, there was something so special about it, and it just caught on and took off, and everything changed quickly. So that's why I always explain like that was my college, right? Yeah. And luckily, I didn't move here straight into like being an assistant for a TV star. Because that would I would have died. I would have left. Hundred um, percent. But I essentially moved just as I was kind of getting used to living in LA and doing laundry for a living. It then you added on this whole other thing, and um, it just changed the way that everything worked super quickly. You know. And then your role on the show became more and more important, and yep. you broke through where you were actually becoming a TV star. It's season three, yep. season two, yep. later in season two, where you're actually like on the bill, getting paid. Yeah, season three, I think. I think season three, I finally got like the cover of the DVD. I made it in Huge. to the group. Huge. And, and, uh, and I made it in the intro. Those were big moments. Oh, that's massive. Yeah, yeah. So those were big moments. So I, yeah, the way it looked for me was like, okay, now we're shooting this show, but I'm not, it's not about me. This is Robin Big Black's show. And... There was actually a moment, because here's what happened. Like Rob had a super like skater mentality house. So people would just come and go. And like his close friends would just show up and they would come in and hang out a little bit and then they'd leave and whatever. And of course, if you picture a bunch of homies and all of a sudden now there's a TV crew in there, everyone starts coming around, jumping into shots. You know, it's like Rob and Big Black are trying to have a conversation and the other homie jumps in and like, oh yeah, I remember that, dude. <laughs> you and it's see like, the head duck around the corner. On, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, come on, dude. And so they were trying to figure out what the show even was. And so everyone was trying to find their lane because everyone sees like, this is about to be a, a rocket ship. Let's all, we got to get in. And it got frustrating, got hard for them to shoot. They ended up having to kind of tell everyone, look, you can't just come over anymore. We're shooting from these times. Nobody can be here. And they told me, look, we know you're here every day and there's no way around that, but stay out of the way. Like, we're trying to film a TV show here. Just do your thing. Do your laundry over there. Right. Oil and, the floor. Yeah, oil the floor down there. And so that was, you know, that was fine with me. I wasn't, it wasn't that big of a deal. But I saw that there was something special happening here, obviously. And so obviously I wanted to be a part of it. And I didn't have any drive to be like a celebrity or a TV personality, but man, I wanted to be a part of the these guys. Like, they're, this is something really special. So I slowly kind of found my way in and my dynamic that fit. And it started literally with those guys calling me in to do awkward, crazy stuff. You know, like the first time, I wrote about this in my stupid little journal too. <laughs> the first time was Rob called me in and said, he Big Black had fallen skateboarding. And Rob thought it'd be funny to rub Icy Hot all over his bare butt. <laughs> yeah, and so he's outside this. by yeah. the pool on his stomach with his bare butt. And Rob said, drama, get over here. I need you to spread this. And, and, and I was, I couldn't do it. 
I yeah. froze, right? And I was like, no, man, like, I don't want to touch this guy's butt. Like, this is too weird. Yeah. This is not my debut. Not my <laughs> debut. And, and they were like, all right, you know, whatever. And then he did it. The scene was hilarious. Went on. I remember going home that night and I was like, oh, my God, there it was. There was my moment. <laughs> you know, my life could have changed right there and I blew it. So whatever. That's where I came in. It started being little scenes like that. I came in that way. I became the awkward, scared little cousin, which I was most of the time. And then it slowly grew. Season three, I made it on the DVD cover. And then on Fantasy Factory was my real, real jump because Big Black had moved to Texas to raise his daughter. And so it was Rob and I were the kind of co-stars. And um, that was my big leap. You That's know? your big step up. Yeah. And in the time of Rob and Big, while you're watching all, all the cool stuff happen, I think Big Black had launched a clothing line during that time period. Yep. Had you started formulating what you want to do, what you wanted your thing to be? Because obviously you're not going to be the personal assistant forever. Yep. If you're that driven in, in that role, yep. you just you have to break out of it or else it all crumbles. For sure. So any formulation yep. around what so I was, was? I was spending the majority of my time trying to figure out what my thing would be. And because I didn't want to be an assistant for one extra day than I needed to be. And I wanted to create a thing. And my first attempt was music production. And I, I took any money that I had and I spent it on a keyboard, a Korg Triton keyboard. And I would just sit in the bedroom or in the living room or whatever all day and just try to learn how to make beats. I grew up playing the drums. My dad played the drums and I, I realized that it was kind of similar and I would just try and try and try. And I thought I was going to be the next Scott Storch for sure. And that's where a lot of the episodes came from, like Bobby Light and all the stuff with, with the music. That was, there was a Halloween costume one year. Was it? Bobby oh, yeah, Light. you told me that. Yeah. yeah. Obsessed with it. So Drama that, beats. Yes, man. So that's why, because I was always sitting there making little beats. And so that's why music got so tied into the show was because me and Big Black and uh, his friend Bam Bam would just sit. I would make beats. They would rap to it. We set up a booth in the closet with a mic, and they would just record. And like, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. But then, you know, Bobby Light happened because Rob just came downstairs one day, heard us playing a beat and rapping, and he started singing. And then it became an episode. You know, and it became these crazy moments just really from messing around at the house. Definitely. So that was my first thing. I started doing beats. Um, the executive producers allowed me to put my beats in the background of the show, which were absolutely horrendous. And I just love them so much for doing that because I can still spot them now. Love the plug, yeah. Yeah, like everything else is good. And then there's this like offbeat ringtone. It's like, <laughs> there's a drama beat. But that was my first time like signing up for ASCAP and, you know, trying to figure out what a uh, publishing deal was. And I just really was trying to formulate all that. And then I started making shirts that said drama beats and that was the start of what ended up becoming young and reckless was there were these shirts they said drama beats i figured out how to get them printed locally um started a website was packing and shipping them myself i wasn't selling any i was selling one a week yeah but uh wrapping my head around that so at that time that was a little mini entrepreneur drama i was 20 uh 21 or tw no 20 years old i was packing shirts and shipping them and making beats and you know i was going to be the next biggest of I was course. gonna be puffy, pretty much. And you were, you were, you got close. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, you you were doing you were doing some real beats. I mean, you you had some nice features. I mean, Birdman actually still owes you money. I he assume. owes me money. Probably he owes me like seventy five hundred dollars. Oh I wow. Think. Yeah. Yeah. For a little twist, I did a song with a little twist. I've never been paid, so you know, 
the the letters coming from my lawyer. And you have you have a couple other nice names yep. on the docket too for Drama Beats too. So I mean, it, it definitely started, but yep. I think you you saw how savage the industry is yep. probably, and and kind of lost some passion for it. I'd assume. Hundred percent. It's yeah. I I got into it super heavy. We started doing records for Yellow Wolf and Kelly Rowland and uh, all sorts of low-level stuff, like an album filler for Kelly Rowland, you know, and which is cool, and it's on the path, but um, it's really hard. That business is rough, and you have to be a, a real savage and really, really, really love it. And I, when, it, when Young and Reckless started working and you saw one machine over here working really well and working really good with like the fan base I had built up and the TV career that I had been working on, uh, and then this other thing just kind of worked against all of that. And I'm in the studio every night and begging people to listen to my beats and tracking down five grand here and there. It just was the first thing to go, you know? And I still do that to this day. I still try. I'll try seven different things at once and I'll go with the one that has the most traction. You know what I mean? And is the, yeah. that feels the most natural and is making some money. And I think that's really important to when a new platform or a new anything comes along try it try it all in but man if it's not working and you just cannot figure out how to figure it out then bail out you Definitely. know so and that's at least get the username 100 percent. get it early yeah and pick up a couple others while you're there that's right but but that's why uh that's why that one got ditched and i just really that's when young and reckless really took off and and started to gain traction and i just put all of my energy into that and you you had a pretty interesting path to get to actually producing and creating mm -hmm. young and reckless mm -hmm. When you developed into the number two character yep. for Fantasy Factory and you realized that you could have a thing, you could have a brand. Yep. Well, actually, before that, you were trying to get your own sponsor deals. Oh, yeah. So you That's were out I'm... there hungry in the streets yep. trying to get sponsored. Yep. Wear your stuff on TV, pay me, Begging. and let's do it. Yeah. And I think that's initially how you met D. It is. So the way that looked, group. yeah, the way that looked is like, so I'm like on Robin Big, I'm like, far third character, if that, right? I'm on like 30% of the episodes. and But I see Rob making starting to make millions of dollars from his sponsors because obviously his prices go way up. I see Big Black create a clothing line. Big Black's clothing and shoes grossed like over $10 million in that couple-year time frame. So I'm sitting literally in his bedroom working on my stupid beats, watching him get a royalty check for like 200 grand. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah. you know, like you're seeing this. And so I was like, well, obviously I'm not, I don't know how to create a clothing line or do any of that stuff, but I can definitely go get a sponsor. And so I went around to everyone in town and begged, literally my price was $500 a month. And I begged $500 a month, here's what I'm doing, I can wear it on the show, I can whatever. That's where I met Dee, who is now my business partner in Young and Reckless. And he turned me down and he said, nope, sorry, dude, we don't do that type of stuff. Like we don't pay. And he hadn't watched the show and he was like, I don't know. We just don't do that. Yeah. And so I was, you know, crushed by, by that and many other things. But I ended up, I remember this is part of the story that I never tell is I ended up signing a deal with Echo for like two months. I think I got dropped. Uh, and the deal was like I had to wear Echo on the show and I had to film like skate videos <laughs> wearing Echo and send it to him. And it was the dumbest thing ever. And I think I just didn't deliver 
what I had to deliver and I got I got booted. But that was my only dabble in having a deal. Sponsor, yeah. And I, and I blew it. Uh, so that's where I met D. So then when it came time to do Young and Reckless, I went back around to any of the people that I knew in the clothing industry and obviously D was one of them. And it just made way more sense this time. And it was a way more like real plan. And you know what I mean? It, it was something that, that had legs a little bit. I mean, thank God he saw my crazy idea and got behind it. But that's where I met him. And then you almost missed the boat on Young and Reckless Big time. to tie it in to Fantasy Factory. Yep. What what happened there? How how did you almost miss this thing that you had been prepping and thinking about and pondering for so long? Yep. So the way it looked is I started making Drama Beats shirts, printing them myself, selling them, shipping them, one a week at best. Then I go, I build a website, dramabeats.com. Then I... Uh, start figuring out, okay, how could I sell ringtones? How could I do all this stuff? That's right about the time that like Robin Big is ending. So when Robin Big ended, I quit working for Rob. I worked for Rob all through Robin Big. And I said, man, I'm gonna, if I'm ever gonna do this, I gotta do it now. Like I'm gonna go make my beats and figure it out. And I started brainstorming on this stuff. Right around that time is when the talk started for Fantasy Factory. So now Fantasy Factory is being talked about. That's getting more real. Big Black's gone. This is my big, big chance. And I said, man, if I'm ever going to do anything, now's the time to launch it. So I started coming up with names. The other funny part of the story that I usually leave out is the first name I came up with was Vanity. Right? Yeah. Ridiculous. So I have all these notebooks with Vanity written in different, like, oh, because you're so vain or whatever. The, I don't even know what I was thinking. And so I, I was literally going to partner with my web developer who made my website and make this clothing line called Vanity. And whatever, as the thing got more real, you know, I was obviously, I went to Rob and I'm like, hey, I have these ideas for a clothing line and went to, and, and the initial things were just kind of like, all right, we'll find someone to do it then. I'm, I can't do I don't it. Know, yeah, I don't, I don't know what friends you want. are just going to, yeah, <laughs> like, what the hell? So the point is, getting to the point, I, that, I changed the name from Vanity to Young and Reckless. I realized I needed bigger partners than my web developer. I started making a logo, started doing all this stuff, but the TV show was coming quick. And when we started filming day one for the TV show, I didn't have my trademarks done. I didn't have any of that stuff handled. And you can't film on an MTV show with any words you want on your T-shirt. Right. And so if I didn't have it trademarked or any of that stuff, I couldn't wear anything. I couldn't sample anything. I couldn't do anything. So I missed it. I was too late because the other thing is once you start filming, like that footage might get used in episode five. Like it's over, right? Yeah. You, you tried it, you it didn't work. You can't match it up. Yeah. And so I was screwed and I was devastated because once again, in TV land, you don't know if one season might be your only shot at best. And that could have been my launch and I blew it and I was devastated, but I got it together in the meantime. And then season two is when it really... I really started the integration, and it, it just was young and reckless everywhere from there on out. And you you actually cut a pretty savvy business deal with D and mm-hmm. Sun mm-hmm. to make it everywhere. Yep. And that's pretty interesting. So I'd love to, for you to talk a little bit more about what went down in that room yep. uh, in that meeting. 100%. So neither of us, you know, D and them, they, they had a company for, for long before me, but they weren't, they weren't just rolling in cash. Um, I didn't want investors if I didn't have to. So, so we were kind of scrappy with it. And, and what that ended up being was, okay, I'm going to print just samples, just enough for me to wear on the show. That's a few hundred bucks. I'm going to wear it all over the show. I'm going to make it look really cool. And then I had a really good relationship with the editors of the show. So as soon as the episode was cut, which they would send it to us to like watch and approve and whatever, I took the DVD 
from them of that of the first episode that Young and Reckless was featured in, D and I drove down to Pac Sun and we showed it to them. We sold it. We said, look, this is going to be the biggest clothing line in the world. Like, you know how big this show can be. You know how big DC is. This is the next thing. And I said, um, you know, we'll shout out Pac Sun on the show. I didn't know if I could do that. We'll shout <laughs> out on all my social media. I'll do autograph signings. I'll do everything. You guys just have to take this for all your doors. We'll give it to you exclusively. And it just has to be in stores the day after the show launches because everyone's going to be in the malls. They're going to be looking. You know, that was a very different time before e-com was really anything. Yeah. And so the idea of a kid watching this show on TV and then walking through his local mall the next day back when people still used to go to malls and all of a sudden there's Young and Reckless, the brand that you just saw created. Drama, he wears that. Yeah, now you're going to buy it, of course. So thank God they agreed to that. So our first order put us in profitable land. Um, because PacSun at the time had a ton of doors. A, they had a ton. They had like s seven or 800. It's crazy. And they made a pretty sizable order. And so we essentially like drop shipped it from our printer. You know, it was like printed on demand. So they knew that uh, the order was going to be filled and paid. And we instantly were profitable from that first order. Now, it got really tough. And the first order kind of launched well but then fell off a cliff and before you know it we're in the back of the store on the floor and nobody knows how to find young and reckless and that was a whole different chapter that we had to overcome but but yeah that's how we finessed um our first order without needing investors or any of that stuff which is amazing yeah and since since young and reckless was such a, a tight tie to the story arc of the show yep the success of the brand was relatively tied Two episodes airing and being on TV yep. and all of that. Heavily. When was the first oh shit moment where there was maybe a gap in production or a gap in filming and you thought things were going really well for a while and then it's like, uh-oh, yep. maybe I'm not fully in control of this, this whole brand thing yep. and, and I need to do more. Yeah, so that was my biggest fear because I didn't want to be a celebrity with merch. That, that life seemed whack to me. I wanted to have a business. Like I looked up to Ken Block, the owner of DC. I thought it was so cool. And I thought the way he integrated DC into Fantasy Factory was so amazing and Robin Big. I wanted to be Ken Block. I didn't want to be, you know, a celebrity. And so of course when you launch the brand and it's on TV for that first season and sell through in the beginning is pretty good, you start to feel like you are Ken Block. And you're like, oh shit, this is great. Yeah. I did it. I got a brand. Yeah, but little do you know, it's exactly the opposite of that. And it's all your worst fear. So after this, it was the second season when we introduced Young and Reckless. After the second season went off the air, sales tanked. Like we could not give away a shirt. I remember my cousins in Ohio were going to the local Pakistan and sending me pictures. And it was like, Young and Reckless shirts like covered in dust in the back of the store on the ground. And it was <laughs> very motivational. It Thanks, was man. Bad, <laughs> yeah. man. And I was like, shit. And so um, it did not, that was a huge instant wake up call, instant slap in the face. Like, look, man, you know, you can wait for another season to come on and you're going to get another boost, but guess what's going to happen? It's going to go off and this is going to happen again. So we instantly started going as hard as we possibly could to not separate the brand from me, but show that it was so much more than just me. And I just remember the goal was, this is not my merch brand. This is the new hot brand. This is what everyone's wearing. And how can I make it look that way? And we just went and did the classic track down everyone, big for a cell phone picture, posted all over Facebook, 
try to just make it look and appear like everyone was wearing Young and Reckless. And it slowly but surely started to work. Yeah. And that was when we first I first learned how to win and lose in with like brand ambassadors. We started working with Machine Gun Kelly and right when he was coming up. And that was really, really effective because we were very similar in our brands and both from Ohio and I was going to his shows and he was rocking Young and Reckless. All of a sudden his fans start wearing Young and Reckless because they want to look like him. And I'm like, oh, this is working. That's right. Then we do a deal with Meek Mill right before his first album comes out and we show him riding his dirt bike and what he likes to do, you know, kind of the reckless side of his life other than rapping. And that started working and he became a superstar. And so that's when it really finally after like season, you know, three or four, I think we noticed after season four, or maybe five, the show went off the air and sales continued to sell well, to go well. And that was the big moment that I was like, yes, like this is the start of it. We're here. Yeah, but I remember, man, it was tough and it was scary and it was all that stuff for the first probably two years until it really started to catch. And I learned how to even, like, okay, the goal is this. It's not more TV. The goal is more of the other stuff. And that's kind of counterintuitive when life seems really fun because you're a star on this hit TV show. It was actually my goal was to do the other thing, you know, and, and, and that's what we did. And that's important, I think. The, the hand-to-hand combat and the hyper-focus on selling at any cost yeah. is such a necessary trait in an entrepreneur yeah. that's, that even has a prayer of being successful. Yeah. And I think another thing that you did that was super smart was separating yourself from the brand, yep. where Young and Reckless is actually, it's not you. Yep. And separating you out, because you're going to get older, your tastes are going to change, it's going to be different. And I think that's where a lot of brands lose, and I think you saw that from the get-go as well. Yep. It morphs and evolves with the founder, or the creative director, and it just doesn't jive with the same audience, and you have to constantly be reacquiring customers and reappealing to an audience. But if you if you know what Young and Reckless is or what the brand is, yeah. and you just stay true to that for years and years and years, you just have you have a movement, and it'll grow and grow and snowball and snowball. So I think that was that was super smart of you, and I think that's super important to take away. Thank you, man. And that was always what I was a fan of. Like I think it's really cool that you do that. Like you said, you focus on the brand for years. It snowballs, snowballs, and then you have something bigger than you. And for some reason, like I'm just not a very egocentric guy, and, and I'm I'm actually relatively, you know, introverted and uh, by nature, and I I never wanted to just make me as big as possible, and then the halo effect of that would be very valuable. I wanted to create something that was way bigger than me, and and this is the same way. Like you see a lot of influencers selling merch and stuff like that, and like even the nothing against these guys, but Jake and Logan Paul sell so much merch. And that's a big story that I hear a lot, obviously, because I'm in the apparel business. I think that's cool and good for them. But what I'm a fan of is like Glossier, you know, which is an incredible brand that's going to be so valuable for so long that was started by technically an influencer, right? And now has just, she used that to kickstart it but created a brand that means something so much bigger and they can work so with much anyone than Emily. Yeah. yeah and it's so awesome to me and that's just something that for me personally i'm more attracted to you know when it's all over i'd like to say i created a couple cool brands not i was so cool and my merch sold so right. well you know what i mean yeah people thought i was sick yeah like they i was bought so all sick. my shirts yeah until my yeah. the algorithm changed right. and I got, you know what i mean <laughs> and now 1% of the people see your stuff yeah like i it just never appealed to me to be that guy fair you know 
So then when Fantasy Factory ultimately went off air, yep. that's when you really had to get, well, not scrappy because you had figured out the formula earlier. Yeah. How did that change how you were running Young and Reckless? So this is what's interesting about my story is by that time, the show was no longer having any impact noticeably on any of our sales or anything. And we did a lot of seasons. I forget now. I think we did eight seasons, but maybe it was seven. Somewhere and, around there. Yeah, if it's Ish. one or the two, yeah. Ish. And, and we probably did too, too many, to be honest. Like, I think if we would have <laughs> stopped at like five or six, it would have been like, wow, I missed them. Well, I think people still miss us, but it would have been like, no, this is ending. You know, it's, yeah. it kind of got into like, oh, that's still on territory. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, and so my point is by the end, it was making no impact. And I actually started to think it was probably a detriment to the brand because my persona was always tied to like being under Rob, being his little homie. Being, and that's like, oh, that guy owns the brand? Like that's, I don't get it. Like you want to start to position yourself as an entrepreneur and whatever, not as the little homie. So that didn't really affect our sales too much. But what happened was that was right around the time that the rumbling started of retail being in trouble. So that's when we started to have all these new challenges of like, man, we've spent the last six years attacking retail and meeting with buyers and trying to impress buyers and let's go get a nice dinner and please just move us to the better shelf and can we have it for 30 doors not 20 and you're fighting and traveling all around the country trying to do this and then all of a sudden it starts to change and it changes pretty quick and those guys their sales start slowing down for no reason that has anything to do with you and they start closing doors and one of our retailers filed for restructuring chapter 11 bankruptcy and you just see like, oh shit, man, it doesn't matter what we do. This strategy is no longer a growing strategy. And so that's when all that started and we really started having to make some aggressive decisions and, and get rid of some people and restructure our team and really learn e-com and Facebook marketing and all of this different stuff. I mean, Instagram to me used to be a, a secondary, like fun way to connect with your fans from your TV show when you were bored. Right. It became the thing. And there's people now who have TV shows that are just propping up their Instagrams, and that's the good story. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> and, and that's nuts. And so literally the whole world started to shift around the same time. And that was a rough time for me because even though I didn't want to be on TV anymore and I felt like we were doing too many, I didn't understand the like camaraderie that I had from just being around like the filmers we had known for seven it's years, family. you know, since I was point. 19. And um, the producers used to schedule my doctor's appointments. Like if I was feeling sick, I'd be like, hey, I don't feel good today. They would make me a doctor's appointment. They were like my moms, yeah. right? And all of a sudden that's gone. So you don't have that place to be. You don't have people telling you what to do. It's now in your own hands a little bit. And what's going on with your business is really scary and changing really quickly and you got to figure all that out. So I grew up a lot in that like two-year period um, and I wasn't expecting it to really go that way. Definitely. Yeah. And in that time, once the show's off the air, Young and Reckless is humming, mm -hmm. did you have any other, like you were saying before, did you have any other things that you were trying on the side that you wanted to launch as like separate side businesses or were yep. you just hyper-focused on continuing the growth of Young and Reckless? Yeah, so I've tried a lot of stuff that mostly failed. Uh, I, You know, one of the things is I, so I tried music production, kind of bowed out of that. 
started Young and Reckless, I then thought I was so good at product and branding and check this out. I'm going to do what I did for Young and Reckless for like the grocery store business. Cool idea in concept, yeah. right? Like that's what now a lot of people are having a lot of success with that. Mine was I wanted to make microwave burritos and they were called loudmouth burritos and they were like weird other items but in burrito form. So the first two were pizza and cheeseburger, but then we were going to do like spaghetti and meatballs. And we oh, wow. And it's essentially kind of like Hot Pockets meets whatever. And I was like, just like streetwear, we're going to do collabs. Like let's do a collab with Pink's Hot Dogs in LA and make a hot dog with ketchup and mustard burrito and whatever, whatever. The point is it didn't work at all. I thought I knew way more than I knew. <laughs> I didn't do the proper work. I treated it like Sun, and you know what I mean? Like I, I didn't, we didn't know what we were doing. And then I went, I said, oh, Rob, you know, we, we've never actually worked together on a business. I got an idea for, our, for, for one we could do. Um, let me do all of the clothing for Street League, his skate competition. I'm like, we're going to kill it. We're going to revolutionize your merch. You know, we're going to make this. And I went, and it's just like, it just also didn't work. It didn't, <laughs> we were so busy on other stuff. That's a whole different type of like delivering to venues and doing all this other stuff. We didn't have the infrastructure for yeah, it. It's complex logistics. Yeah, like I'm 25 <laughs> years old. I think I'm a genius. I'm just wrong. Yeah. And so we had our thing dialed, but now you try to tie this whole other thing. So, and I also got into, you know, my friends do a lot of investing. I've done that with them for years. I've had some some good ones, and I've had some big losses that also I just, in hindsight, shouldn't have wrote such big checks to. You know, right. it was just like I was once again you feeling just your think, oats. Like, yeah, yeah I think everything's this. gonna hit. You yeah, think, you know what I mean. And and um, so anyway, there was a lot of other stuff that I tried, and Young and Reckless was just the thing that I think was most well known. It aligned so good with my like audience that I had built. The distribution chain was perfect with Paxson Zumi's Tillies um, and everything then that spawned off of that. And and it also just became part of my persona. You know, like, oh that's drama from Young and Reckless. Yeah. And it started to evolve from like, oh that's drama, like Rob's a little dude. Right. To like drama from Young and Reckless. And I remember that used to pump me up so yeah, much. Because now you have your thing. Yeah. And so so yeah, I've tr I've tried a lot of stuff, and and some stuff has worked, and some hasn't. But Young and Reckless is definitely the one that's the most like just built into to my who I am. Definitely, you know, definitely. And you discovered a love for podcasts along the way. Yep. Probably what three years back, I'd say. Yep. You you started exploring short story long. Yep. Uh, what what pushed you over the edge to actually start the podcast? You know what it was is I think that I was kind of like I didn't love TV. And I didn't, I started to get really frustrated by when I would go out and about, people would obviously recognize me because I was on this show. But the response was not in line with anything that I gave a shit about. Like it was like, yo, dude, what's up with the mini horse? Ah, you know, like, yeah. what's up, dude? And yeah. I'd be like, oh, like I'm just trying to walk <laughs> yeah. through the mall. Like I don't care about that. Hey, and, thanks for watching. Yeah. <laughs> and so I kind of hated it and I kind of shied away from it. But after a couple years off of the air, I also realized like, man, there was something really special about having an audience. I just want to build an audience that's in line with what I actually care about. And so I just started digging on what it was that I actually care about and who I really am. I'm not an athlete. I'm not even some big fashion designer. Like, what am I really? And it's that I'm an uneducated skateboarding 
small-town Ohio guy that moved to L.A., was scrappy, and figured out how to live the American entrepreneurial dream. And so how can I break through to more people that were like me that thought this was impossible for them and just spark the idea in them or the belief in them that they can do it and, and set them on a different path than maybe what they're going and, and find that more fulfilled life. And the easiest way to start doing that was podcasting because I could put a mic in my office, I could start interviewing my friends and I could just figure it out and put it out tomorrow. And the best piece of advice that I got was put it out bad. Like be awkward, be uncomfortable, like do all that because people are going to relate to you more when they see you grow, you know, and you're only going to grow from sucking at it for for a while. That's what I'm banking on today. You have to, man. You have to, <laughs> literally. And like you can go back and do another interview with anyone anytime you want, but you can't just sit in your room and think about how to be better. You have to go suck and become better and try it and iterate you do and then people like it like people will now come up to me and be like man i just listened to like the first five episodes like it's so crazy how much you've grown and that makes them like my newer interviews even better because they see where i'm coming from and so that's what i did i started doing it started interviewing the people around me my business partner my friends i have a pretty inspiring close circle of friends and it just worked its way out and i started asking bigger and bigger people and people that i didn't know whatsoever and ask them for favors and and people started saying yes, and, and the listeners started growing, and it just has become this thing where now you know the listeners are bigger than I ever expected. The guests are bigger. I'm getting reached out to by like just interesting people that I'm like, man, who would have thought? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so it's kind of become a big part of what I do, and, and I'm really at that phase now where I'm trying to figure out where to take it. Like, Is there a TV concept that's based off of this? Is there a more you know, bite-sized video concept that's based off of this. But I'm not sure, but it really kind of, just by following my instinct to connect with people with what I was passionate about, it really led me to this whole other thing, changed my whole public perception, the way people think of me, uh, and made me a lot of really good friends and relationships along the way, you yeah. know? It definitely also helps with your own growth to just be exposed to these stories and, and yeah. hearing it over and over about how somebody conquered this problem or there was this event in their life that maybe held them back, but they persevered and they yeah. got through it. And it's yeah. just inspiring. It does. And you man. get to share that with everybody. It does. And it, it made me, exciting. it changed, you know, not to overthink it, but even down to the smallest degree, it changed the way that I operate around people. Like even when we met at that event, had I not had like a reason to get to know you guys and like, yeah, let's talk. Like, I'd love to have Gary on. I'd love to see what you guys are up to. It changed my ability to even talk to strangers a little better and say, yeah, man, I'd love to just talk. Yeah. Whereas before, I probably would have been like, oh, hey, man, nice to meet you. Like, super cool. And then I would have been awkward and like walked away. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> and, and, and it just gave me a little bit like, no, just linking up with people and talking and having meetings and, and chatting is, um, is really beneficial. So it really, it really added a lot to my personal just life. Of course. You know? That's great. Podcasting saved my life. <laughs> That's what I feel I, like. I, I, haven't, I haven't heard that before, actually. I, Simon, feel like. I feel like you're the first yeah, revolution. Yeah, a revolution. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I mean, not not to talk down on short story long, but no, it, no, yeah. it, isn't, it isn't the number one business podcast in the world, unfortunately. It's true. That title is held by your other podcast, yeah. Group Chat. It is. It's sad, but it's true. And this is factual science. Just picking evidence. your favorite child, I guess. Yeah, I guess we did in it. audio form. Yep. And I've done it. 
and if if what what what's group chat to you and why'd you start it it's fun as hell man it's literally um you know i think so i I started, keep in mind, I started, started uh, Short Story Long because I realized the power of connecting with people, putting out content, wanted to create something that was more in line with what I cared about. Great. Then me and my business partner, D, started chatting. It originally started because we were chatting about uh, ComplexCon. We're talking about how this is the future of trade shows and trade shows are dead and oh my God, and here's, some, here's how many people were on the floor, here's how many people shopped. And we have all this podcast equipment sitting in the room, and we're like, man, we should record this. Like, this is a way to connect, right? At the end of the day, it's all about connecting with an audience. Like, this is a way to connect. And so we did it, and we started recording, and we just started trying to figure out how we could have the closest that we're comfortable putting out to a real conversation that we have, where we do you know, talk shit about people in a fun way. We do try to sh like really talk about real statistics and knowledge and how many people made a purchase at ComplexCon. Why is this so important? And it was another thing that we started for fun. We thought maybe we'll be able to build an audience around this. And now we have, and now that audience is like so engaged. It's like this little gang that we've created and like they use our terminology. It's the Cathy's. It's the freaking Cathy's, I'm a Cathy. Yeah. And we did like a live event uh, like two weeks ago and it was the first time we've ever had like a room full of like our people like that. And Man. it sold out. And it sold out. And it was cool. Like it was all these people, like I said, using our terminology. And the funny thing is we do it three days a week now. We air on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And we're really just picking the topics of the day, and we go up and we talk about it. We don't, nothing scripted, we don't know what we're gonna say, whatever, but what happens is naturally you find these things, like my business partner hates Peloton for some reason, and you know, whatever it is, and so you find these things that you kind of build on. Well, then when you go do a live event, and there's a couple hundred people in a room, and they are talking to you about Peloton and making the same jokes, it's so cool, because it's like they're just picking up where the conversation left off, and it feels like you're in a room full of 200 friends. And the audience is really smart, and they're all like hardworking guys and girls trying to create companies and trying to do that stuff. It's like news for that type of person. What it really is, I told someone this the other day, is it's news for like the Gary Vee fan. Because if you're like that guy or girl, what do you watch? You watch like CNBC or Bloomberg, or or maybe you watch Complex, or but nothing's giving you like the new news on how much Yeezy sold through at StockX, and also you know what's happening with. GoPro's stock, you know what Earnings, I'm saying? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, yeah. and there are now a huge segment. I think this is new, but there's a huge segment of people that are interested in both. You know, it's not Definitely. one or the other anymore, and that's who we are, and that's whatever. So, that's what that podcast is. Super fun. Short story long is amazing. I love it. It's added so much to my life. The hard part is I can only manage to do one a week because everyone is a guest. It's a pretty deep story. Yeah, you know, there's some. Uh, research involved group chat we just come upstairs three days a week talk shit with our friends and it's became this thing and, and it's really cool it's so fun yeah it's amazing so young young and reckless is humming. humming you're still doing exciting collaborations i mean you just did a little pump yeah you did 21 savage pretty early too yeah, yeah i mean you're doing crazy stuff you're expanding the product line you're launching hit podcast after hit podcast yeah man you forecast out five years, maybe 10 years, eh, it's probably sooner than that. That's an insane amount of time. Yeah. Is there an industry that you maybe have your eye on that you kind of want to dip your toe into? Maybe much like the uh, the burrito concept, like yeah. is there anything that you maybe think could be a side project 
that you, you have in the hopper? You wanna know what's in my hopper is I wanna be like, I wanna run a, you know, like a little fun little investment fund um, where we can invest in and help emerging businesses that we find interesting, that we can use our skill set of all these years to help strategize. And I want to tie that into what we're doing with media, you know, uh, because short story long, I'm highlighting a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of stuff like that. And then group chat, we're covering like the news of those things. So I think that like to have a investment and brand building you know, group that also has a media element would be really fun. Yeah. And not that it hasn't been done before, but, you know, it's our take on it. And I just think it would be incredibly fun because you'd get to laugh and joke and create content with your friends that has a purpose. And you get to go do these meetups and go do tours. And like, I want a tour with group chat. Like, I want to like whatever. And then, and then, uh, and then you also get to apply it and really help people grow businesses and scale them and be strategic and stuff like that. And then you can feature them back on your podcast. Yeah, and, a full community. Yeah, that's where I think, like I think if people came to our events and they wanted to talk to us about business and get advice and ask us to invest, and like I think that would just be a very fun life where we could kind of use all of these different things that we've, that we've built and done and they all come together you know, in one place. So I don't know. That's completely just like, that would be cool. There's nothing really in place to get that moving, but I think it would be fun, man. I think it would be all of the upside without any of the downside of, of what we do now. Amazing. Yeah. I think I think we've mostly done it. Heck yeah, Phil. Is there any theme, quote, or what have you that you can apply to multiple periods in your life say you you are at the fork in the road am i going to be rob's assistant or not is there any common theme that you kind of live and die by and just for an example mine is from van wilder yep and it's don't take life too seriously you'll never get out alive so i'd love to hear and i'd love for the listeners to hear yours you know what mine is and and i'm worried at the risk of this sounding a little too serious because i'm not that serious of a dude but i've really learned about myself in the last few years that it's evolve or die, you know, something along those lines, learn or die, grow or die. And I've just learned that like, you don't stay happy by staying still, no matter where you are. It doesn't matter how much success you've had or anything like there is no, I think everyone's looking to work, 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 work for the day that they can sit still or be on some permanent vacation or like find the, the place. And it just doesn't exist. So you might as well spend that time searching for something that you enjoy growing in you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Because you'll never be able to just stop. Yeah, say say you want to be famous. Yeah. Cool, you get to be famous. Then now you're going to be super sad probably yeah. maybe six months down the road because yep. you did it and, okay, what what's next? Exactly. And then sure enough, you're going to lose that fame and any money that came along with it from sitting and being complacent. So the goal isn't to find like the, the ultimate vacation destination. It's to find the thing that you enjoy growing through. And you enjoy process of building. And I learned that. Like, because I think coming from small town Ohio brain, I was the first, my 90% grind, 10% sleep model was only until I reached the destination, right? And then I was stopping. Right. And I didn't realize, I wasn't prepared for it never to end. And I think I got more financial success than I ever thought I would, more material success, more all this stuff. But I still was like not by any means fulfilled or happy or whatever. 
And I just learned that my happiness is in the like reading of a good book that happened. You know what I mean? Or going to some thing that I wasn't expecting would be good. And oh my God, there's this whole world here. And like, you know, I, I don't know. I just think the smallest growth, no matter where it is, is so crucial to my happiness. Amazing. And it, you can't stop. You can't just get stagnant because you're out of here, Phil. Nah. Covered some ground. Covered some ground. Longer than I thought. It's just so easy to talk to drama. What can I say? So, I mean, he has a lot of good advice for you. I mean, 90% grind, 10% sleep. Probably should incorporate that into your life because it's definitely paid off for Chris. You could become a successful podcast host. You could become a successful founder of an amazing apparel brand. Be at the forefront of everything. Uh, it just shows you what you can do. It's pretty intense. From Ohio to sunny Los Angeles, he's made it. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on Drama, so thank you. It's not like you're sitting here with me. I'm, I'm back in New York City uh, just hanging out, doing the outro, realizing that in my excitement of episode one, I didn't ask Drama where you all can find him. And I'll tell you right now, it's on Instagram. It's at Drama or YouTube which is drama drama two times uh you can also check out short story long the podcast where you can find uh, the tartar project as well so hopefully you subscribe to that as well as his other podcast group chat pod uh as well as his third podcast motivational mondays or monday motivation i should have looked that up before i started recording i didn't but i have full faith that you can find it if you're interested in it it's a great podcast but thank you for tuning in comment subscribe on itunes hit me up on instagram at phil toronto let me know what you liked what you didn't like give me some feedback i'm gonna keep doing this weekly so check back here you have a couple episodes queued up for you i really appreciate you listening all the way through thank you so 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 much it means the world to me as you heard at the beginning of the episode i've been wanting to do this for a long time and i am having a damn blast i love this so thank you and catch you on the next episode.